For those who are visiting with us, we are going through the book of Colossians. And Colossians is a church like this one, or we are a church like that one, where the word of God was open to the people on the Lord's day, and that's what we are doing today. So for those who are familiar, will you take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. This is God's word, and I am a messenger. A message like this morning, I feel like saying, don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) I am just doing what I have been given to do, but I trust that the Spirit of God will use God's word in the way that God intends it to be used and heard. Let me just remind you, part of this was read last week. And I am looking over verses 5 to 7 of Colossians again as we go into the teaching of God's word. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now, but now. One of my favorite preachers of the past, Alexander McLaren, and you don't need to know anything about him, but something happened in his ministry one day, one of his parishioner, parishioners came to him and said, Pastor, I want to say something to you because I'm very annoyed at you. Think of that. And this person had a list of complaints against the preacher. And she went through her list. And when When she was finished with her list, Dr. McLaren said, is that all? She said, yes. And he wiped his brow. And he said, I know more about me than you have on that list. If you knew about me what I know about me, you would have a longer list than you have. Several years ago, Dr. Billy Graham, who just turned 99 last Thursday, I think, or one of the days this past week, when he was young and still full of life and energy, he had a conference in Switzerland. And at that conference, each who was sharing at that conference had to give their message a week ahead of time, a month ahead of time, I think, something like that, so it can be seen that there wouldn't be anything in what they're going to say that would be controversial. Anything that would cause some sense of embarrassment. And when one of the speakers got up, I heard this story from a third party. He started to speak and then he said, I'd like to share something about myself with you. And this person who was present at the meeting said, when this person started to share, he leaned over to his wife and he said, 
I am sure that that didn't go to the committee before he read it. Because what he was sharing was about some of the sense of his own failure. This was someone who was chosen to speak to other men and women about the gospel, about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And yet, at a meeting, he was sharing some of the things that no one would think would be possible through such a person. The title for this message this morning is The Residence of Evil. The Residence of Evil. G.K. Chesterton, after the English newspaper was concerned about a rash of terrible, terrible things happening in London, England. The editor of the Times asked, what is wrong with London? What is wrong with our island? What is wrong with our city? And G.K. Chesterton decided to respond. And here is how he responded. Dear editor, concerning your question, what is wrong with our city, what is wrong with our island, what is wrong with London, I am yours truly. What is wrong? We live in a world, my friends, where, where nothing is wrong with us, it's just wrong with someone else. And as long as we think that what is wrong with someone else doesn't concern me, then I don't look to see where I may have needs. And I don't know if this is why Paul wrote to the Colossians this way after taking them to the heights, sharing with them some of the glories and the wonders and the, 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 the tremendous love of God to bring them back to earth now to speak in the way in which he's going to speak. For example, at one point he says to them, now that you have been transformed by the power of Christ, listen to what he says, don't lie to one another. Isn't it amazing? If you have been transformed by Jesus, why does someone have to tell you not to lie to one another? Because, my friends, we're not at home in heaven yet. We still have to face some of the realities of life. And so I have titled my first point here what Paul gives to the people, the character of evil, and I'll tell you why he wants them to know it. Because everything that he's going to speak about here as being wrong in the city of Colossae Everything he's going to show them as being evil, he's going to say to them, God has delivered you from every one of them. Not only do I want you to know, but I want you to know what you have been delivered from. And so first of all, he gives them what I call the character of evil. That word is becoming quite famous in our vocabulary now, is it not? Evil. It was the President Bush, the son, who first used the word in public 
at 9-11. The axis of evil, he calls it. But just what is evil? Evil, my friends, is, is anything that is opposed to who God is. And he's going to tell what these things are. He gives a description of evil. He's vivid. As I was in my study at home, going through this, I thought, do I say this to the people of God? But it's in the scriptures. I'm not making this up. Paul is saying the character of evil is, first of all, look if you please in verse 5, is immorality. You have five things there that you can fill in the blanks. Immorality. Imagine that Paul is talking to Christians about immorality. In, in fact, the word that is used in the King James translation is the word fornication. Fornication. That word, the original language from which that word comes, is the word pornea. And you can hear the overtones of pornography. And Paul is saying to the church, I won't get into the beginning of the verse until we get to the end of the message, but one of the things that you and I face even as Christians is that we must war against immorality. Any kind of behavior that violates a person or the conscience or in any way take advantage of a person as we have been hearing out of Hollywood for the last four days or two weeks. Almost every day. The list is about sexual behavior. My friends, I do not speak about this with any sense of glee. Or I'm glad I'm not like this one or that one. I have to realize that if Paul addressed this in the church with the people, it is possible. Because in chapter 7 of Romans, Paul said, In me, that is in my flesh, dwells nothing good. And if we think that we have escaped certain behavior because we have not participated in it, remember that Jesus said even a look can be guilty of an act. Immorality. He describes evil in this way, and I do not need to go beyond this with this. Secondly, impurity. Impurity or uncleanness. The second is related to the first. But what the second has to do is with a mind that is consumed with thinking things that violates decency. It is, it is having a mind that is clear, that is able to think God's thoughts after him. Paul says, as a Christian, your mind should not be preoccupied with things that are unclean, thoughts that violates the character of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, But you have been called to purity. 
Number three, inordinate affection. This, this word means to live and practice what is shameful, but is satisfying to those who are doing it. I can just leave that where it is. To live with that which is shameful. We live, my friends, in a day when it's, it's, it's frightening. What goes on anymore? Number four. I, I love this one because I love the word. Evil concupiscence. That sounds like a disease, doesn't it? Well, the word simply means, again, related to the, to the first, the number three, evil desires. What is forbidden? I want what God says I'm not supposed to have. It is like Samson who saw the young girl and said, I want that girl. And when his parents tried to advise him against it, he said, I don't care what you said. I want it. That's what evil concupiscence means. It means to live with evil desires. Listen to Oscar Wilde. This is a man who lived with evil desires. Listen to what he says. And the day will come, believe me it will, when sexual choices cannot be legislated, then society will have reached its ideal state when it is told to do whatever it wants to do. Society will reach its ideal state when society is free to do whatever it wants to do. Do you not feel that we are living at that time, friends? He said this almost over a hundred years ago. And yet, he lived that kind of a life that took his life and his, his tragic end. Number five. Number five. Covetousness or greed. But it's interesting. This is uncontrolled desires to be driven in order to have, to allow nothing to prevent me from what I want. I'm just going to skip over that because in the description, he calls it something that we don't think about. He said greed can be defined as idolatry. What, 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 is, what is idolatry? Idolatry, my friends, is to have a mindset that not even God is going to get in the way of what I want. I worship a place, a person, a possession, a position above God. It is to make God dispensable. Idolatry is the sin that tells God that he is not essential. When Paul goes over the whole list and he describes evil for us, it might be present, my friends, in some of the things we are pursuing without being aware of it. Who? Me? An idol? That's for pagans in third world countries. But no, friends, idolatry is anything that rivals God from being God. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter who. 
I want it, and no one is going to stop me from getting it. So we have the character of evil. And perhaps one of the questions you ask is like the question that the prophet Habakkuk asked. Listen to the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 1 and verse 13. You, speaking to God, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when wicked devours one more righteous than he? You know what he was saying? Why isn't God doing something about evil? Why is it that God seems silent? I feel this tremendous drive to do something about it, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Oh, my friends. You, you and I must understand something about God. That God doesn't see as you see and God doesn't think as you think. God is above you and me in thinking. And one of the things we have to realize is that God condemns evil in two ways. First, the appraisal of it. The appraisal of it. This, look, look, at, look at what the text says. On account of these things, these things, the five things we have just mentioned, consumed by the sex, on account of these things, sexual immorality is neither ignored by God or is God indifferent to it. I want to call your attention to three passages of Scripture. First, in Psalm 50, Psalm 50, verse 21. These things you have done, God is speaking to the nation, these things you have done, and I kept silence, and you thought that I was just like you. I will respond to you. You see, my friends, please remember this. If God zapped you the first time you sinned, would you be sitting here this morning? If he zapped me the first time I sinned, oh, let, let me put it another way, he zapped me the last time I sinned. <laughs> I don't mean that, that I'm going out doing anything outrageous. No, my friends, just that evil lives with me. I am reading my Bible and thoughts will come to my mind from the blue. I think it's from the blue. <laughs> you did these things, and because I kept silence, listen to Peter. God does not play with sin as men do with time. He is not willing that any should perish. So when immorality proceeds in a nation, the heart of God is, 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 is bleeding, if you please. But 
It is not because he can't do anything about it. It's because he did something about it at the cross. He sent his son there to pay the price for the wickedness of the world. And now he comes to us and he says, I want to deliver you from the thing that can destroy your life. It's not silence of indifference. It's silence to bring you to repentance. That's what Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says. Or do you despise the riches of the goodness and the forbearance and the long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Someone has put it this way. Payday, someday. This someday hasn't come as yet, thanks be to God. On our way here this morning, Lois and I were listening to a broadcast, and it tells the story of uh, one of the Russian leaders, name slips me right now, and, and how his daughter said when he was on the bed dying, he was, he was going this way with his fist clenched, and then all of a sudden, he sat up in bed and he clenched his fist even tighter and he raised it at God. He just, he just, he just despised God. He killed hundreds of thousands of his people and it seems that God did nothing and he defied God and his dying bed and God was silent. But all the time, my friends, his evil was being appraised. And there'll be payday someday. Someday. I can't, I can't explain. I can't explain why certain evils take place in the world. I can't explain it. Friends, I have had to deal with things in the past that, 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 that was so heavy, I, I just felt lost. I, I think one of the, the worst ones for me was the first time I had the funeral for a stillborn baby. That was one of the most difficult things I had to deal with. Quite difficult. I can think of the time when a young man... His parents loved me so much that they gave their son my middle name. At least that's what they told me. He was about to get a job with one of the big banks in Toronto. And he went with some friends and did something he never did in his whole life. And one Sunday morning as we were getting for church, his parents were out of town, so they called me. And they said he lost control of his car and was killed instantly. Why? What, 
What evil drove Chris? And his death was like one of our own because, our, you know, his, his parents, <laughs> one year's Eve night, his parents came after church to stay with us to have some fun and games in the, in the, uh, at, at our house. And they stayed for three days. We just had fun together. So when Chris died and I was asked to take his funeral, my friends, I cannot explain. But what I can say is this, that while evil is being practiced in the, in the world, even sometimes in the church, God is making an appraisal of it. He knows because he disapproves of it. Verse 6, on account of these things. And, and by the way, may I say this? Do you think, my friends, that, that we can continue to abort the number of children that are being aborted in this, aborted in this country and that God will not judge this country for that? It's impossible. Those little ones are made in the image of God. And who knows the plans that God had for some of these little ones? Lois and I have a dear Kim. Kim is our special friend in Toronto. Doctors made a mistake when she was being born and she has been affected for the rest of her life. And I am her pastor. <laughs> and when we were leaving Toronto, Kim wrote me a letter and I still carry it with me after all these years because she shared her love for Jesus the fact that I baptized her, Pastor Thurton, you're my pastor. And I look at Kim and I think of Kim again and again, try to remember her birthday and send her a card, which is coming up, by the way. <laughs> and I can't explain it, friends. But somehow in that life that someone could have gotten rid of because of what happened, in, in fact, Kim was in Paris, France, not too long ago, I haven't been to Paris, France. But she was there. And there are times when she behaves in a certain way. Her dad gets, oh, Kim, please. And I will say, Lauren, leave her alone. She's teaching us something about God that if she had the other thing around, she would not be able to teach us. I can't explain it, friends. But I do know that what was done to Kim in her birth God disapproved of. And payday will come. His wrath is going to come. As I read about the wrath of God, I'm going to tell you, I was frightened out of my boots. I am not exaggerating when I say that. And as I was thinking of it, I was thinking of it, I thought, just read it. Don't even try to say anything about it. Listen, the wrath of God is going to come upon the Hitlers, upon the Mussolinis, about the, uh, uh, on the Adia men. The wrath of God is going to come by those who did that ghastly deeds to Dr. Helen Rosevere. The wrath of God will come. 
Listen to how that wrath is described in Revelation chapter 14, verses 10 to 12. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full measure into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. My friends, all I could do is to read that. I can never describe what this is saying because by the grace of God, I have been delivered from that and you can too. You can too. Payday. Someday. So Paul then gives the character of evil. He talks about the condemnation of it. People will get away from the courts, get away with things. You know, I often think of this. O.J. Simpson. You know, does the glove fit? Because that glove didn't fit or fit whatever it is, he got away. Payday someday, friends. Payday someday. No friend of God, no friend of God is indifferent to evil. We can't explain everything. Things happen for which we have no explanation. But when we trust God, he can see us through them. So he brings us now very uh, quickly to the carrier of evil. I've already talked about G.K. Chesterton. Look look at verse 7. Look at verse 7 of our text. And in them you, who you? The Colossians, the Christians, you once walked in that. And the indignation that has been described in Revelation is what we have been delivered from and what we are going to face if we are not delivered from it. The care of evil is you, friends, and me. I, I can tell you, I can tell you of, of things that I have read that ministers do that frightens me, that a man of God could, could, could do such a thing who's supposed to be there to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice and instead of doing that, to take advantage of them. That has happened. That's why you need to pray for your pastor every day. As good as a man may be, remember that a man at best is still a man. And what we need, my friends, is to realize that even St. Paul said, among them we all too had our behavior in the lust of our flesh, and we also once lived there. Who carries evil? You and me. You and me. That's why we need the Spirit of God to guide us. That is why we need the grace of God to keep us. Paul said to the, to the, to the people in, in Greece, for we ourselves, we ourselves also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, 
serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is what we used to be like. Thank God that's not what we're like. The reason he is sharing this is that they need to know that the potential of what they were still comes around. That's why he said to them in verse 5, Therefore, therefore, because of what Jesus Christ has done, he died to deliver us from these things. Therefore, I I want you to get this. Verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to these things. Now please listen. These things are not dead to us. We are dead to it. We now say, my mind will be renewed because my mind belongs to God and I don't want to use my mind to think on anything that displeases God. The thing might be there, but I don't have to respond to it. I'm dead to it. My ears hear so many sounds, but I will not give my ear to listen to gossips because I want my ears to be tuned to listen to what God has to say. In fact, Paul puts it in a different way. He said this. He said this. Which, which I just want to know which one I should use. When God transformed us, he had in mind all these things that he wanted Paul to write to the Colossian church so that the Colossian church could understand, could understand that until we get to heaven, we will constantly be faced with things wanting to come back into our minds, into our ears, will want us to use our bodies as we're not supposed to use them. And he said, you don't need to. Why? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Your body now is not to be used for that which it was used for before. And even if I didn't go into some of these things, my body can still be used for other things that he will name later on. Let me close with this tremendous story found in Genesis chapter 39, verses 7 to 9. Genesis chapter 39. Now it came to pass after these things that the master's wife, that is Potiphar's wife, cast a longing eye on Joseph and said to him, she said to him, lie with me. But he refused And said to his master's wife, look, or listen, my master does not know what is with me in his house. In other words, he was trusted fully by by, by Potiphar's wife, uh, by Potiphar. He does not know what is with me. In other words, he doesn't take, he trusts me with everything. And he has committed all this to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife, 
Now listen to him. He had position. He had power. He had looks. And the temptation came not from someone that was less than the, the, the king's wife. And his response, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see? You see what kept him? Did, did you read the end of my perspective this morning? See, if Harvey Weinstein had feared God, he wouldn't have done what he was doing. If Bill Cosby had feared God, he wouldn't have done what he did. And please listen, if you and I fear God, that is to have reverence and respect for what God has called us to be in union with Jesus Christ, you and I will also be able to say no. Not the way Nancy Reagan said it, but to say it with the conviction of communion with Christ. How can I do this and sin against God? My friends, the Christian life is a wonderful life, but let me tell you, it's not an easy life. It is a life that must struggle with inward and outward sin every day, but thanks be to God who always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And to him be the praise. Amen. Father, if there was ever a time I have spoken and said, I'm glad it's over. It is now because this has not been an easy word to speak. Because I'm talking about me. I'm talking about us. But as we bring our brokenness to God, he heals us. As we bring our sins to God, he forgives us. And as we express ourselves to God, he hears us. And he equips us, he grants grace that we might be able to walk as he has called us to walk. I don't know for whom this word was designed this morning, but it's the word you have given and it's the word that we have responded to. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, to the glory of God, in Jesus' name. Amen.